Welcome to On The Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. On today's episode, I have musician John Allred. I go way back with John, and it was an amazing time to be able to sit down and catch up with him. John just released a new album called Brave New World, uh, his first album in four years. So, you know, it, it was really exciting to be able to talk with him uh, about this album and kind of find out what he's been up to. I, I first encountered John when one of my old terrible bands uh, was playing on a morning news show uh, together, probably back in, in 2005. <laughs> it's, it's been quite some time and when, when i say my old terrible band that, that really encompasses i think most of the bands i was ever in we were we were terrible uh, but john has always been a fantastic musician and uh yeah we, we ended up working together you know years and years ago um as, as i helped you know manage some of the stuff that all red was doing and yeah it was, it was fun to be able to sit down i don't think we've seen each other really talked much over the last several years you know life just kind of kind of goes on and you know, he, he's been doing stuff with music. He ended up going back to school and earning a degree in music. Of course, while, you know, I had moved to Los Angeles for a bit and, you know, coming back and doing radio and, and, you know, different stuff with Second City. And so, you know, life's taken us in very different directions. And, you know, it was great to kind of, you know, come back together and kind of, you know, be able to talk music. We really just jump into this episode uh, talking some of the DC and Marvel movies. John and I have both always been a fan of comics. And so talking a little bit of that before we get into, you know, really talking music. And John is just so knowledgeable you know, on the workings of the music industry. And, you know, he's, he's been at this for a while. He, he's been able to share the stage with so many incredible bands. You know, he was there at the very beginning when bands like Neon Trees and Imagine Dragons were forming in Utah. And, you know, he's been able to watch them come up. And, you know, we talk a little bit about that and, you know, some of the things that he's learned over the years, um, as well as a lot of, you know, where this album, this new album kind of came from. And some of the, one of the classic songs, Golden, that's on the album. And the, the title track, Brave New World, uh, that, that is really just, it touched me in different ways because of, you know, so much that we see going on in the current current political climate, as well as just, you know, some of the insanity happening within the world. And John kind of addresses some of that and, and talks about, you know, kind of what the song means and, and you know, how everybody kind of finds their own meaning in, in music. And that's one of the joys of music. But it's always a fantastic time sitting down and talking with John. You know, ho- hopefully next time it won't, you know, have to be so long before we sit down and talk. But, you know, sometimes it just, it seems as though the podcast is the way to be able to get people back together, you know, that we haven't seen in, in so long. But yeah, I, I, if you have not already picked up Brave New World, get out there and buy it. You know, you can buy a physical copy at shows. Yes, they still do make physical copies of CDs. So yeah, you, you can buy that at a show. It's also available on iTunes. So, so pick it up there. Uh, absolutely fantastic fantastic album and of course the rest of the all red catalog is there as well that you can pick up and you know there's not one of those albums i would not tell you to buy so and that's and that's not even my personal bias coming in there john's just a fantastic musician and i I can promise you that you'll really love his work don't forget coming up february 28th at the nerdist showroom at meltdown we are recording the 100th episode live and i am incredibly excited to announce our guests for this for this live show uh, two have been on the podcast, um, you know, as doing a full episode, but this is for their show. Uh, the wonderful ladies behind the Lady to Lady podcast, Brandy Posey, Barbara Gray, and Tess Barker are going to be our guests for the live show. And of course, opening stand-up from Christopher James. Very excited to be able to do this show at the Nerdist showroom. Uh, you know, as I kind of said during the last episode, it's always been a big goal of mine to be able to do a show here. And yeah, we're, we are really, really excited about that, especially to have all of the wonderful ladies from lady to lady joining us uh, they're they're just they're fantastic they're a lot of fun barbara 
Brandy and Tess are all just phenomenal comedians, and they do a lot of great stuff. You know, they they just did a uh, a fundraiser for the ACLU with some of their uh, with some of their uh, comedy, and you know they, they Brandy. We talked with her a little bit on uh, on her episode of the podcast about uh, her show Picture This. They just did an amazing version of that up at SF Sketchfest uh, with some of the animators from BoJack Horseman, and yeah, it was a really cool packed house. I believe it's sold out. So, you know, they're, they're always doing amazing stuff. So make sure you come February 20th, 7 p.m., the Nerdist Showroom at Meltdown on the Mike 100th episode uh, with the with Lady to Lady podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we also have some dates coming up in New York City in May. Uh, still trying to finalize those. Uh, I can tell you they will be May 8th and 9th. Uh, as soon as we have more details to come, uh, you know, we'll be able to announce those. So uh, keep listening for those details, um, as well as Chicago in August. It's just kind of getting uh, confirmed here. I know they're very spread out dates. This is the first time we're really touring the uh, podcast around. So, you know, there'll be plenty of more dates to come. If you want us to come to a city near you, you know, hit us up on Twitter. And, you know, we're, we're always more than willing to book book and bring the show there. Uh, a lot of the times it's, it's going to be me, Jesse, and, uh, and Christopher. Christopher kind of does a lot of the opening comedy. Anytime Austin is available, he will be there as well. Uh, th- for this show in Los Angeles, all four of us will actually uh, be on that show. It's rare that you get all four of us uh, together with, with Austin's film schedule and, you know, wh- whatever my schedule's doing, wherever I'm traveling. Um, and of course, Christopher and Jesse, you know, their, their schedules just continue to get busier. And, you know, I'm, I'm very excited that we've got all four of us on this episode um, that's going to be happening at, uh, at the Nerdist Showroom. So please come out to that. Tickets are just 10 bucks. They are available on NerdMeltLA.com. And yeah, we, we want to see everybody there. It's going to be an incredible time. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode with John Allred. Again, get on iTunes, pick up Brave New World, and you know visit, visit his website as well, allredmusic.com. You can find out any of his tour dates. He's getting ready to head out on, out on a tour this year. Um, and you know he'll, he'll probably be coming to one of your cities. You want to make sure that you're there. And again, you can pick up even a physical copy of the album. Um, of course, there's always other merchandise uh, as well. But yeah, make sure, make sure you go check that out. Again, thank you to John Allred. Such an incredible time to be able to sit down and catch up be able to talk music a lot of great memories doing that with john <laughs> we kind of talk about some of those too in this episode so we'll see you guys in los angeles february 28th for now enjoy this episode with john allred thanks for listening Catch up. but i i think we're marvel hits the home run is that all of those guys are comic book fans like they they're able to suspend that disbelief of this is real whereas dc is just like no this is a this is a, a movie that we have to make this way and and they don't they don't allow themselves to enjoy it as as they did when they were kids i'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist though <laughs> i i think i think disney owns rotten tomatoes and the only reason i know that is because like there's no way that you know, some movies are getting like 92, 93 ratings. And then, you know, Batman v Superman gets like a 17. Yeah. It's like so warped. It's like uh, some somebody's getting paid to do something. And it's not to say that it deserves some great score, but at least it should be probably close in proximity. It shouldn't be these skewed like one end to the other. Because if you watched Civil War and you watch Batman v Superman back to back, 
you would see redeeming qualities in both movies. And I do think that it moves smoother with Civil War, but it's a lot safer movie too. Yeah. It's like so it's it's formulaic and happy, a little bit funny here and there. And but the 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 one thing I will say is that if you compare even the costuming of the Marvel films to like the DC ones, they like the ones who in the Marvel movies they look like they're wearing Halloween costumes in comparison because <laughs> there's so much detail and and they're being so creative with the ones at DC, so it's it's kind of like you take what you can but you shouldn't I don't think one should be in a 90s rating and another should be in like 20s or 30s it's like it's kind of weird and and after after going through film school too it's like I go back through some of those and like they'll start and I have to be like wait check check the mind out check the mind out because if I watch it with too much of like yeah. A critic's mind. There's parts that I'm just like, why? I remember, I'll never forget starting Age of Ultron, and the first five minutes, I was just hating it, and then I was just like, oh, I, I got to turn the brain off, turn the brain off, it. and then I enjoyed it. But and yeah, and there's no way that those movies are perfect. You know, I do, I, I have enjoyed both. You know, a comic book movie is a comic book movie to me. Yeah, I just think it, a lot of people like to pin pit them up against each other for some reason and maybe it's just because like they they want something to fight about you know (laughs) just like bands you know people have done that with bands for years they'll like compare you know some people will be rolling stones fans others will be beatles fans but you know there really wouldn't be rolling stones without the beatles so it's you know and then then you have the conspiracy theorists on the other side that think that people just hate nickelback because they're the thing to hate and i'm like no no no, they're they're terrible well the thing that's fascinating about him so Chad Kroger, the way that he he doesn't do it anymore, I don't think. But those first few records, he he used kind of this program called Vocal Align, and what Vocal Align does is it's a plugin that can take, you know, three different singing tracks and kind of blend them and have them modulate the same way. And so he would do like a whisper track, he would do a growling tra- track, and then he would sing it normal. And then he would use this, like, he would auto-tune it to shiz, you know, and then all of a sudden use this vocal line thing and just blend them. And it created this weird razor blade scratchy voice that we all know to be the Nickelback voice. And it's a little silly. Like, it doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound like something that a guy can just sing into a microphone and sound like. And so I think that part of that, it's like, Every song kind of sounded the same, and then his voice is kind of so ridiculous that I think some people were just like, and this new metal thing. I mean, that was big for, and I, you know, I've never been a huge hater on them. I've never really even been a huge hater on on Linkin Park. And, you know, even even parts of me thought that the first and second Creed albums were at least redeeming on a couple songs, you know. Yeah, the because first one for sure. They're well written. I mean, his voice is ridiculous. It's like Eddie Vedder you know, Im- imitation with this new metal kind of drop D, you know, C-sharp tunings on the songs. Um, but, but like, you know, everybody, music is a beautiful thing because, you know, there are millions of Nickelback fans and millions of people that are so happy that Creed is back touring. Um, are they really? Yeah. I don't think I knew they were back touring. Like the Scott Staff guy, I think he has to. He's so poor. <laughs> rehab cost a lot of money. Well, I don't even know if he ever went to rehab. <laughs> I think he just broke, you know, but but I think, you know, and that shows you that it, it's it's kind of unreal how something that was so big 20 years ago is so irrelevant now. And that shows you how fast we move with music. 
Absolutely. Like people, people go in and out, like, and, and no one's listening to the radio anymore. You know, um, not, not nearly as much as they used to, because that used to be their only source and they were kind of spoon fed playlists. And now we can just make our own. Yeah. Yeah. Spotify. And we have jukeboxes yeah. at our disposal unlimited jukeboxes i mean there's more music accessible and there's more music being made now than ever before so i think we moved through information so fast that it's like people are on to the next trend before something even really really you know i mean even probably five years ago or maybe four years ago like fun was huge yeah and where are they now I mean, it's weird, yeah, but they true. may come out with a nice record and it may be successful, but it's just as likely. That... The cycle's just so much quicker yeah. than it was. I, I mean, I, I remember probably 10 years ago, I always loved to be like, yeah, look at my iTunes library. I guarantee yeah. there's not a band you can name that I don't have. Yeah. And there's I couldn't even begin to no. to say that now. And that's been a killer. Like, um, I've, I've had to endure the, you know, originally just... You know, I, I'm I'm so old that I sold tape cassettes when I was in high school. And then I still have some of my tape yeah. cassettes somewhere here. And then by I... the end of the year of my senior year, we started, you know, burning CDs because people were having personal CD burners. But this was like super early on. You know, no one had a personal cell phone yet. Uh, people had just started really like, you know, having websites and stuff like that. It was I mean, bands were still writing letters to their fans, you know, like, like physical letters, like, cause I have that framed one of, of, uh, Chris Caraba who like wrote my brother saying, Hey, you should come out and see my band sometime. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's something that that was a simpler time, you know? And, and I think we just keep changing, you know, our, you know, just, just how people consume music. And it's, it was really cool to go through Napster when I was a freshman in high school and finding out that all these kids were downloading, you know, covers that I was putting up and even kids in Utah had heard about me. Like, that's why it was such an easy transition to move here is because on Napster, it just kind of like, you know, spread. And then, you know, iTunes, you know, comes out and kind of regulates it a little bit more, but it's digital downloads. So already it just locked in that records are going to be $10. Yeah. So initially they were twice as much in, in uh, five years before, and now they're $10. So it's kind of their fault that they cheapen <laughs> music and they've tried to make records a little bit more. I think some tracks are like 129, but you have to understand that, uh, you know, back in the sixties and seventies when music consumption was, was really huge, you know, after, you know, Elvis and, and the Beatles and everything, the, the average price of a record was the equivalent of a carton of cigarettes at that time. Really? And a carton of cigarettes now is $29, $30. So it makes you realize it makes no sense to me that you can go and you can get a 12-pack of soda for $6, and yet a record is still only $10. So for some reason, the the masters that be have, have decided that, you know, records were cheap. And, um, you know, and even in Utah, it's still hard to really boost ticket sales. If it goes, if you're a local or even a regional artist and your, 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 you know, admission to a concert is $15, you already lost some of your audience because they don't want to pay that much. Although, you know, I paid $20 to go see Goo Dolls and Bush 25 years ago. And so it's, it's mind boggling to me that music has just been cheapened for some reason. And it just keeps getting worse, man. It's like, MySpace was, you know, like the the website that was built for bands. 
And yeah. then people would be. And it seems like it really is a kind of a music website more than anything now. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a joke now. It's just, it's, it's an impossible website. It yeah. just looks <laughs> like a mess. They tried to fix something that honestly didn't need fixing because Facebook is MySpace. Like the code is somewhere in there because even the way that Facebook works now, it, it looks like MySpace still. It's yeah. still kind of that platform. They should have kept that platform because they owned it. And, but the thing that's so sad is just that, you know, you used to be able to post a bulletin and all your fans would see it. They come to your show. And then yeah. you, the more fans that you'd accumulate, they'd come to your show or they'd, they'd listen to your songs. You'd be able to let people know when you release stuff. And, you know, then, you know, it was tainted. I don't know. There were too many creepy people, too many people <laughs> getting arrested. You know, anything good, anything good that's a gift usually gets abused at some point. And Facebook's was the new thing, but Facebook doesn't care about bands. So, you know, I... I transferred over all my fans, about 17,000 people I tried to transfer over to Facebook, and I only got about half of them. So it was like maybe seven, eight, 8,000 fans that came over and were, were quote-unquote my friends you know, on Facebook. And what happened was Facebook just decides one day, okay, you can only have 5,000 friends on a personal profile. Yeah. And so I had to watch 3,000 people drop me over a two-year period. Until I could actually add anyone. So they paralyzed me in that way. And then, you know, events, you can't, you can, you used to be able to invite all of yeah, your friends. Yeah, you can only invent, or invite an limited you amount. You can only invite 500 people and that doesn't even fill a venue now. So there's no way I can even sell anything out trying to use that as a tool because I can't reach those people. And the boosting thing's a joke because you yeah. pay for it and they say, you know, you, you did this exact area of the state that you're playing in this age range. And then the same day, I kid you not, people who are that age from that area say, hey, when's your next show? <laughs> and you posted, this is my next show. So it's it's a broken system. And, and honestly, it's, it's frustrating for everyone because there's no territory on the internet anymore where an independent artist can really just grow. You have to like have people helping you. Any band that's really known now, any band that's really getting the word out, they either were paid to be on a Spotify playlist, they are paying for advertisements, you know, they have to pay. And you pay a lot for yeah. advertising and get very little return a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the other difference too, is like, I've gone through, you know, a record's a record. Yeah. You, you know, you, you sell a $10 record, you make $10, then you go on iTunes and through everything in publishing, you'll make probably $7 for every record that you sell on digital form. Now with Spotify, you make pennies. I mean, it's just there. What's happening is kind of scary because I'm worried for the new generation of musicians because the really talented kids who could do anything, because I do, I find most kids that are really good at music are really good at other things. They're going to focus on the things that they're going to be able to survive on. Right. So all the great musicians of the next generation may not even want to do music because they see that, that they can't even eat from from making it and so i i hope there's going to be a change i hope there's going to be either a platform there'll be a website where finally it'll be free reign on the internet again where it's like you know your music just needs to be good and if it's good it's going to spread i mean that's what happened with us like i i it has nothing to do with me thinking that I was talented or, or good, it actually had more to do with the fact that other people connected with it and they found me and they spread it. You yeah, know? I, I, I feel privileged that I was 
there kind of when you first got started here yeah. to be able to watch those the small crowds at Muse that blossomed to velour and yeah. then seeing seeing the shows. I mean, I'll never forget showing up. I want to say it was a Christmas show that you guys had done at the Complex. Uh, yeah, that. Not the complex. It was uh, or it was the rail. The rail, which yeah. is in the same vicinity. It's just in a lot more expensive venue, but they keep shutting down and opening up yeah. because it takes <laughs> it takes so much to keep that. Well, they place have like going. marble floors, and they went to the nines on with a venue, and essentially you need a place like the complex. It's just a cement room. Yeah, that you can just bring stuff in to make it sound good. I love that venue, um, but like yeah, the rail was. I guess the whole reason it was even built was some huge investor just wanted Billy Joel to <laughs> to come to this venue and uh, have a riser that he would come out of and and play on a piano. So it would be like this trap door, and then yeah. he would come on a riser up out of the stage. And I guess they have that. They actually have really? that. Yeah, it's like built in in the, in the venue. <laughs> he, Never used. He, he, I, just, I would like to think there's just like a plaque next to the button that just says the Billy Joel riser, and that's just yeah. what they've called it there. Yeah, well, the only <laughs> – the only thing I've ever heard that was great that came out of that venue was, uh, like, I think 30 Seconds to Mars had a crazy huge show. Yeah, it, I was actually at that show. Yeah. It was the Neon Trees' first big tour yeah. when they were opening. It was them and uh, Mute Math. Yeah, that's a great, so, that's a great combination yeah. of bands. But, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think that was probably one of the, before, like, Facebook kind of had regulations, was, was, that was one of the last really big shows that we brought, like, 900 kids and... You know, I, I think I think I was able to actually pay my band really well that night, almost the way that I should be, have been able yeah. to pay them, because it was you know just so hard. And I just remember, yeah, that was one of the last really great ones. We had a show maybe a few months later when it got a little bit warmer, where we shut down Center Street in Provo and brought about seven hundred kids. We we set up a stage, you know, got like all the special requirements needed by the city and we put up a gate and it shut down that whole middle place and, and we had kind of like a party where we played with other bands. But it's been hard to really do anything like that independently anymore because it's just everybody gets their hands on things. Yeah. So now they have a rooftop <laughs> concert series and it's very selective about who they let play. Um, they've you had know, some pretty some pretty fun shows come through. Didn't they just have the Aquabats last year? They had the Aquabats last year. The year before, they had uh, Cascade, except it was way too big. Um, and and even their Neon Trees one was just so gigantic that it was like I think they're they're kind of learning that maybe we should you know make it a little bit more hometown <laughs> smaller because you know Center Street's weird. It's 15 miles per hour. Yeah. Provo's weird in general. I mean, if anybody thinks Provo's normal. I yeah, mean, it's it's a very very weird. The, the little bit of time I lived down there, yeah. When yeah, I finally I moved it. back out, I was just like, and I I forgot how weird that. Yeah, <laughs> that area and I is. I love it. I mean, it's 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 a place that I really do consider home. But for me to think that it, it's always been abnormal, even the way that kids are so into music there. Um, you know, I I have buddies that worked for a TV show that went all around the United States trying to find local scenes. And uh, we talk to studios, other musicians, all these things. And there's nothing like Provo. It's just, there's yeah. no place that bands have really thrived. It, it's sad, too. I mean, you you mentioned going around and, and even looking at a TV show like that, too. How there's such a lack of that. I mean, MTV was, was the music mecca back in the day. And I had actually, right as I was finishing film school, had pitched a show. Yeah. That I, I'd thrown it out to several people. And they're like, no, this is great. Like, you need to pitch it. And as soon as I pitched it, it was involving a major 
corporation as well. Yeah. And I was like, they, they've got to love this. This is going to be free advertising. Yeah. And then after it made it through a few rounds, they're like, yeah, we just don't see that there's a market. And I was like, no, because <laughs> it would have been an awesome music show. Well, probably one of the biggest heartbreaks, and I don't, I haven't really talked about this a whole lot, but like probably one of the biggest heartbreaks of like my career was they decided they were going to do like a show like American Idol, but it was going to be bands and they were going to show up and play original songs. And the main judge, one of them was Johnny Resnick from, from, from Goo Dolls. And it was going to be on the WB. They had one. I think I remember hearing they had about one episode. That. It was a pilot episode. And uh, we were booked. We had the flight itinerary. We had to send our songs back and forth and which ones were going to be approved. And we had to sign over rights to them for publishing and all these things so that it could be played on a, on a major, you know, like channel. Like, 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 I think, I don't even think it was CW yet. It was just whatever it was called before <laughs> that, which I think it was the WB yeah. because it was like, you know, animated Batman series and yeah, it was, it was, Utah, it was and, WB 30. If I yeah. Remember. And like, you know, Dawson's Creek yeah. and one tree hill. But anyway, long story short, like we just, got got a call it's just like uh we didn't even get past our first episode we're canceling the show so it was just no, you know you started to realize there was no i don't know if there's there wasn't interest with people but i don't know if it wasn't promoted well but all i know is like that would have been really cool and way cooler i mean all, all for american idol i mean talented singers but it's karaoke i mean it really is it's, yeah. a, it's professional karaoke um, and it's, it, it's kind of this weird shortcut, you know, before you used to have to cut your teeth on the road and write your own music and learn your own instruments and tour and, you know, work your way up and then make connections to be able to get to the next step. And then you sign to a record label and they develop you. But now you just get on a talent show and they just sign you. It's yeah, like, or YouTube or, <laughs> and it's, and that's kind of, I mean, not to say that it can, you know, they still find great talent, but it's just, I don't know if, if, if it's as rewarding you're not preparing these people you know they're not developed you know right. like you have to understand like tom petty went through multiple like scenarios where he was almost dropped because he was developing and no one was trusting what he was doing but he eventually became this great songwriter and one of the greatest you know um you know and and i i don't think there would have he would have had the longevity of a career that he's had if if he wasn't allowed to develop you have to take a seed and, and plant it and let it grow, not thinking that a person shows up to an audition and they're just this perfect product. <laughs> and six months later, they have yeah. and they have a, ma a major record deal and a platinum single. Yeah, and... but it's all the same writers. And I mean, it's just it's very different. I mean, the scariest thing is 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 that people really do believe that people are still writing their own music. Yeah, but the if majority... you remember when Adele won a couple of years ago yeah. at the Grammys, it was just a plethora of people that came up on the stage and nothing against Adele. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. But it killed me at the same time that Ryan Tedder wins his first Grammy, not for a one Republic album, yeah. but for, I can't remember if it was producing or writing uh, that song of hers. And it's yeah. just like, why, why, why not the one Republic album that was phenomenal? Why aren't one of those nominated? And I don't know, man, what's, what's happened is I think there used to be multiple record labels that all kind of has share of great rosters of artists. I think that there were thriving radio stations that could promote them. I think that every record label had probably about five to six A&Rs that would go to any show, not just a specific show or within a proximity of where 
this station, you know, the station record label is like where their where their operations were 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 being you know held. But anyway, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, you know, there would be A and R's at every show, every local show I go to. People were always like looking to see who was the next big thing. And now it's like their A and R staff is like cut. It's like a tenth of what it used to be. There's only like four people. It used to be forty. You know, like back in like the you know early two thousands during the drive through days or tooth and nail, you know, and so you're starting to realize like everything's shrinking. So what happens is when the industry shrinks like that, where all the record labels are downsizing or being consumed by bigger ones. Now there's only like 10 to 12 huge record labels that have the power instead. It used to be like a lot of them, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're, they have smaller staffs. They're only like signing a certain amount of bands and they put all the attention into these bands and not to say that Adele's great because she is like, like that she isn't great. I mean, but she's all of the attention is on her. Right. And, and, and it, it, you know, I don't know. I don't know if she deserved best record this year, best album. That's an okay record, but I'm not listening to that thinking about all the other records that have come before and going, it's kind of undeniable. And, and then you, the other thing that I think is, is the hardest is you're starting to see a lot of these artists are having the same people write songs for all of them. So everything on the radio is starting to sound really similar because it, it is, it's yeah. the same people. Well, so you, Maroon 5 even released a new song yesterday. And my wife is a huge Maroon 5 fan. Doesn't even sound like Maroon 5 and, anymore. Yeah, it doesn't sound like their first record at all. I remember first the first time I saw them, it was with John Mayer, and I want to say The Roots. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were kind of a kind of a bluesy kind of pop rock band yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, but the but the new song my wife listens to it yesterday, and she was just like, it's it sounds like he was just like, hey, I also have some other lyrics that could go over this same song. Yeah, and to hear her put down Maroon Five, I was like, yeah, well, well, that, that's a, I mean, honestly, <laughs> that that's a, another weird thing is just like. I feel the hardest thing for me is like some of my favorite artists and I'm kind of like, you know, just surprised. And I, I wonder if this is just a part of aging. Some of your heroes just start releasing stuff and you're kind of like, well, this isn't this isn't like what I remember it used to be like when I used to listen to them. But I, I, con- I'm, I constantly say like, I don't really hate on music, but I usually like like older stuff that usually artists have done so you know if you you come up to me you talk to me about Coldplay I think the new stuff just sounds like it's a Chris Martin solo project yeah sounds like him (laughs) with like you know just a drum beat and like maybe a guitar part that comes in and out but it sounds a lot like a solo record it doesn't sound like I'm hearing a band and I would say the same thing with Maroon 5 it just sounds like the lead singer's solo project it doesn't and and they actually only have one original member that's still in it so that makes sense yeah um and he's actually his his dad works at byu i think so he's yeah. kind of got ties yeah here. Uh, james the guitarist yeah he's yeah. his i actually his uh his cousin years and years and years ago when i was working in retail i'd worked with his cousin and he's yeah. like yeah our entire family is just here here in orem so it's it's yeah this crazy little you know melting pot there is here that's connected to all these things i mean the, the coolest thing right now is like half of Panic at the Disco is the Robex, which, yeah. is, which is a band that came out of Salt Lake City. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and, and it's so cool, you know, like popping on the television on, on New Year's and you just see Dallin playing bass, singing. And I'm like, wow. But I always knew he would like end up somewhere. He's just so, so good. And he's always so kind too. He's such a nice dude. But um, yeah, I mean, this 
the state of the in- industry, we could just go off all day. But it, but what I what I want is like more than anything is is just to, that great music will will just be heard. And I feel like there's so much noise. Um, you know, probably my biggest disappointments just in the last like couple weeks was going to see Dashboard at the Depot, and he played ninety percent of his set on an electric guitar. And I'm just like, what is what is going on? This yeah. is the weirdest show. And even six months ago, I left the Jimmy World show early. Really? I see. I and I, I never was leave. Super there. bummed. I, I was in New York when when they came. Yeah. And with all the work I've done with X96, they were doing like the special like acoustic set meet and greet. Yeah. And I see them announce that, and I was just like, I'm gonna finally get to meet Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. And I pulled up the date, and I was like. No, I'm not. I'm in New York. Oh man, that it, sucks. It was, yeah, it, it was terrible. <laughs> well, they're they're one of my heroes. You know, it's it, they're Clarity. Yeah. Um, Static Prevails wasn't really my jam, but like Clarity was amazing, and Features actually I thought was the next step. I mean, I just don't think that they've come out with anything close to those two records for some reason, and I don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, but it's like maybe maybe bands peak maybe there's just this perfect storm of the right producer and the right engineer for certain records and the right songs but for me it's like going to that show it felt more and more like a local band and i never would have said that before because you know i saw them i've seen them consecutively over the last 10 years and it doesn't mean i'm a better musician at all i don't i can't do what they do but I, I can honestly, by watching it, I saw when they peaked. So like watching them during the Futures kind of era when they just released it, I mean, it speaks for itself. There were 10,000 people that came out to see them at McKay Event Center yeah. before it became UCCU Center. And, uh, you know, there was probably 800 people at the Park City show. Really? That's yeah. It. And, and even, you know, Dashboard, we saw him on tour with... Panic at the Disco and, and a bunch of people playing the e, the e Center, which is now the Maverick Center. I mean, dude, it's hard to even keep track of venues here because they keep <laughs> shutting changing, down and yeah, or change, yeah, and changing names. Energy Solutions is now the Vivint. You know, it's it's crazy, but I would say, man, that like it just shows that we are we move faster now, and and maybe bands can't keep up. I, I don't really know. You know, maybe maybe they should turn in, turn into like James Cameron of of music, where they they release a record every five years yeah. to make sure it's just so good <laughs> that it just creates longevity for their careers. I don't know. I don't know if an album cycle of two to three years is enough anymore. I don't know. And and bands are kind of recording themselves now, so instead of yeah, unless they unless they have like a strong major label that's behind yeah. them that's quickly pushing them out as soon as that first album cycle and then yeah trying to get through the sophomore slump and it's just hard to to even bring up a band that we know that's just every record's been good yeah i mean there's just in in i hate to be such a traditionalist to say like you know the beatles every record was good but it really was yeah <laughs> that's it, even the, the last time i saw paul mccartney it was like the guy plays a three-hour show yeah and it's like he's and in everybody knows every song and it's just yeah. It's just it's mind blowing to watch him. My my parents during the last one, I wanted to kill them. Yeah. Because they showed up early, just hanging out in line, just my parents and my sister, and a guy from his uh touring company just comes up and it's just like, Would you guys like like uh, some tickets? They're like, Well, we've already got tickets and he's like, No, I'm with the show. Gave them front row seats. And my brothers and I are sitting clear at the top. So the entire show, my mom's just randomly sending us pictures. And we're just like, yeah, you can go to hell. We, we, we don't care. My sister has a rose from Paul McCartney now. And I'm just like, 
I, I don't care that I'm a that's dude. Still, I, I, I want to. I want to mine. <laughs> I want to see him. I want to. And mainly, it's just because I'm playing shows. Yeah. Whenever he's actually playing, I mean, that's the 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 downside of trying to keep gigging and and do things as a musician is you're usually playing on nights because it's weekends. You're usually playing when other bands that you want to see are playing, and and you, I actually still go to more shows than I play. That'll probably change this year, but um, that's one of them. Them and you too. I haven't seen yet, and it's kind of sad to say that because I've I've had a show every time that U 2s played in Utah since you know. Yeah, I've only seen U two. It was when they last played Rice Cycle Stadium, and that was the three sixty tour. Yeah, that was, was an insane yeah. show. And my brother had just moved back to Utah, and it was a very last minute. We we're like, let let's go. And I never thought I was going to get to see them live, and that was I'm I'm glad I did. So you need to eventually. Yeah. Whether it's in Utah or not. They're one of the best, <laughs> you know, and his voice hasn't like blown out yet. So I'm hoping, and I actually haven't seen Coldplay yet. I was in a contest once to open up for them and I got second <laughs> and they gave me complimentary tickets, but it was in Connecticut. And I was like, well, the only way that I'd fly out to Connecticut, you know, to play that thing is if I was actually, yeah. you know, or to see Coldplay as if I actually was playing that show. The only yeah. time I saw them was it was actually at Jimmy Kimmel for one of the uh, one of the after the Oscars um, shows that he does. That would be cool. So they they played like four songs. It was really cool. But sometimes short shows are nice, man. Yeah, I don't know about you, but it gets a little exhausting when people are doing two hour sets. I think it was Fat Mike that had said that uh, that Warp Tour is the perfect set because no one gives a shit what you did after yeah. thirty minutes. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's limited, and they have schedule to keep. On Warp Tour, from what I know. Yeah, they have a very strict schedule to keep on there. So well, I, I know we kind of just jumped into this, and <laughs> I mean that's that's kind of what we've always done in the past. We <laughs> we just get going, and a couple hours goes by, and it's just like, oh, yeah, we, we've just been going. But you know, it's it's been a while since uh, since either of us, I think, have really even seen each other. It's it's probably yeah. been at least at least three or four years since I was even last kind of down in. In Orem and Provo doing anything. and Yeah, life happens. Yeah, That's, life happens and things yeah. are definitely, I mean, you you got a degree in, in music, yeah. correct? Yeah, I went, I went back to school for about four years and then also, you know, had, had a pretty stable job for the last two years that made it so I just could kind of tour on the weekends, but not, not as extensively as I'd like, you know. So I've, yeah, I kind of fell off the face of the earth. I mean, I think <laughs> a lot of people... You know, you play less frequently, and also you're more stationed in one city, and you're not traveling everywhere. People do they 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 think you've fallen off the face of the earth. Like it's it's proven because you know me finally you know coming out with something the last couple of weeks. It's like so many people came out of the shadows, so then just haven't been around <laughs> for like years, and I'm like, whoa, you know, it's like seeing really old friends, and they all you know have have come out like. You know, just it's like calling out the troops. You know, a lot of people bought the record and stuff. So a lot of things have happened in the last couple of weeks that have actually never happened before. So I'm hoping, you know, it's it's going to be the comeback of all comebacks. So <laughs> I, I I hope it is. And I mean, it, it's funny too because like even with the podcast, like that sometimes is where it's like it's it's my excuse to be able to catch up with people that I haven't seen in a long time. I mean, Dave was actually the very first person when I was testing this out <laughs> three years ago, and Neon Trees was on a break and. He was home for like three days, and we we're like, oh, "Let's crank this out and see how it works." And it's like it went well, and then I didn't do anything with it. And like every so often, while I'm in LA, I've gone to see Dave. I took him to see a taping about midnight. Yeah. So if people don't know who <laughs> Dave is, Dave's a guy that played 
in my band for about six years and then eventually became the additional guitarist for Neon Trees. And so he he lived in Highland with his parents. Yeah. He lived like in their basement because, you know, he, he, he would be on tour all the time, so he'd have no reason. But they just moved up to Idaho, so he actually is now in Los Angeles, has like a really cheap apartment, and is immovable. We yeah. cannot get him to move <laughs> home. Like We're like, come on, man, just come back. He's like, no, no. So what he does is he waits to either play with Tyler or play with Neon Trees. I see him when I'm down there, but he'll never come north and unless he's on tour with somebody. So he, you know, he, it's so weird. He just goes sightseeing in Los Angeles all the time and, and posts pictures of it and, uh, you know, and, and mainly just waits for the call to be able, for the next gig. And the, the weirdest thing about it is, you know, for the last, you know, couple months, I'll just post comments on Instagram, like, come home, Dave, <laughs> come home, Dave. And he just won't even respond anymore. So it was, it was a campaign. I was going to start to get like all of us, like me and I mean, even, even my drummer right now, he's, he, we're, he, Nate's great friends with him. And he, it's kind of annoying when he answers Nate's text right in front of me, but I'll text him and he doesn't <laughs> respond. He doesn't know we're in the same room. But the, the craziest thing is Nate's like, dude, you can just live with me. Just live for free at my house. Just move home. And he's still, he's still immovable. So we'll see. LA gets to be addicting. Gets to be very, very addicting once you, once you're rooted down there and where he is able to kind of just wait for either Tyler yeah, he's to not do even show. doing anything. He's like, <laughs> he's like not even, I mean, he's such a great songwriter and, you know, he's actually a pretty darn good engineer too. He's, yeah. good, he's good at recording, but he just isn't doing anything right now. I, I don't know if he's lost the passion or he doesn't have time to do it or he's just burnt out. But like, I mean, we're, we're hoping we can get him. I don't, you know. I don't think he's an Uber driver yet. He, he did that for one day, he told me, when, when we went I down there. I see him being a weird, <laughs> quiet guy, like, to picking people up. And eventually, you know, they start some conversation after, like, five minutes left in the ride. And then all of a sudden, he becomes best friends with everybody. Yeah. That's kind of him. So. <laughs> when, when, when I was last down there and saw him, he was telling me, he was like, yeah, he's like, I, I decided to drive for Lyft. He's like, and that lasted for about a day because I couldn't find where the people were. And I had to call and tell him to f- call another ride. He's like, so... I'm not doing that. <laughs> Dave, Dave knows how to play a wicked guitar, but doesn't know how to use GPS. So, so I mean, what, what was it that kind of because I know you were doing Forest Eyes as well. That yeah. was kind of kind of a side thing from All Red. But I mean, it's been how, it's how many years has it been since the last actual All Red album? Uh, 2012. So it's been four so, years. So four years. So what yeah. was it that made you decide that it was time for a new All Red album? I, I don't know. I mean, I think. I think like you have ideas and you want to be creative and then you go and you do them. It's almost like you get it out of your system. I wanted to challenge myself. You know, I, I, I was getting into a rut, like kind of writing the same types of songs. All the dynamics were similar. It was almost predictable, you know? Um, and then, you know, I was like, I want to do something else. So I, you know, was, was kind of listening to, you know, a lot of different artists than the ones that sound like me, which I think is really healthy. So I was, you know, getting really into like Americana stuff. You know, I was listening to a lot of old Bruce Springsteen, his Nebraska records, like insane. Um, it's just, it's, it's like my soundtrack, you know, for driving. Um, but you know, just like, you know, cliche stuff. Like I love Bon Iver, especially his first record. Um, you know, I, I was, I was getting into Ryan Adams a ton. Um, and, and people had always suggested that I listen to his stuff more, but I, I was mainly on my, 
you know, emo pop rock kind of like, <laughs> you know, and I think, I think there was a place for that, especially when I was younger, but as I, I've gotten older, I, I kind of relate more with other genres of music. But anyway, long story short, I, you know, like did, you know, I got to work with, you know, dudes from fictionists, you know, and, and do kind of a little bit more roots rock type stuff. Did a, did a couple songs in a session at June audio and Provo. And then it led to doing a, a full length record with Joshua James. And Joshua's a guy I've known for years and we're very different, you know? Um, and, and what I wanted to do was kind of like tap into his world and kind of understand it more, but also, see if I had chops, you know, like, so the coolest thing about that record is it's live. So uh, there's no auto tune. There's no multiple cuts of a, of a take for my, my voice. It's just live. I just sang it live and played guitar at the same time. So that's a really unique record because it's just, that's raw and it's just is what it is. Um, but, but, you know, after I got that out of my system, I started recording myself a little bit more. And then I was like, man, I really miss, my old genre and I like that's more of me that's now that I can see what this is I like that it stretched me as a musician but at the same time like I just want to be myself and apply all the things I've learned so you know you listen to this new record and you can hear parts of Forest Eyes you'll be like oh there's all these vocal arrangements that he did which are very um you know prominent on the Forest Eyes record but then you find that this one's a lot smoother it's a little bit more produced. Um, and, you know, it had to do with a, a label approached me that's a local label. And they said, hey, we want to put out a record, you know, and, and we think you're so talented. We've been listening to you for a long time. Um, but we really, you know, we really dig the stuff that you were doing in like, you know, you know, 2011, 2012. And we think it really is who you are and, and you should really do like an all red record. So we'd like you to do an all red record. So it was, it was me craving it a little bit, but then having the opportunity to say, Oh, I don't even have to spend money to make this record. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. And, and what has happened is, man, I just feel so much more comfortable in my own skin. And what I've found is I'm starting to relate with bands that are not necessarily cool they're just comfortable in their own skin. Like they're unapologetically themselves. So you, you find a band like safety suit, you know, and you know, a, a cult, you know, punk rock, you know, like, like fan or people that even really like serious music or cool music, like the 1975, or, you know, you, you, you go across the board with bands that are really cool. Even indie bands like the shins or like, even the head and heart, which is like kind of this cool fusion of, of like folk rock and all that stuff, they would hate Safety Suit because Safety Suit is this really kind of cheesy, kind of like, you know, lovey-dovey rock music that's kind of inspirational. It's got a little bit of, you know, U2 in it. It's got a little bit of Nickelback probably even. <laughs> it it kind of goes in that area. But you find that these these guys are just being themselves and they're making music that is unapologetically genuine. And, and I feel like a, one of the, the people that I feel like has done that to a T is John Foreman. Like, you know, Switchfoot is not everybody's cup of tea, but he has his loyal fans and he found his people that support him on everything he ever puts out. Um, you know, and that music is weird. It's, it's him. It's, it's this weird combination of Christian rock and he, he does these cool like guitar grooves that are kind of weird and, and a little bit retro now. But it's Switchfoot, you know, and, and then they always have that power rock ballad on like every single record. And so I, I actually now that I've gotten older, 
I actually think those people are a lot cooler because what better message to send to somebody is like, I am unapologetically going to just be myself and find the people that relate to that or that like what I'm doing instead of trying to be something that I'm not or trying to fit some sort of molds. And that's a hard thing as a musician because everybody wants you to change something. You know, you'll have a conversation with one producer or even record labels or, or anybody in the industry. You're like, well, you know, I think you'd, you'd, you'd be a lot more successful if you did this. But really, the people that I, I do, I'm, I'm so impressed by bands that stick to their guns and just are genuinely themselves. And so, you know, people I'd add to that list are people I've already mentioned, like Bruce Springsteen. That guy wasn't trying to be someone else. He was just himself. Yeah, he was just some guy in New Jersey that wanted yeah. to do, do his thing. He's, and I don't think anyone sounds like him, really. I think he's influenced other people, but before him, you know, I don't think there's anybody like that. And even people like Goo Goo Dolls, you know, like, although I don't really listen to the bass player when he sings on some <laughs> of the songs, you know, the, the Johnny Resnick songs. I mean, if you listen to even Iris, it's such a weird, interesting song. I mean, I think the strings are louder than his voice in that song. Like, it's just, it's this weird, powerful, amazing arrangement. Um, and, and I love these guys that are, you know, constantly just pushing the boundaries, but they're being themselves in the process. And I, I am, I'm just much more impressed by, by bands that don't change to fit some mold that, that needed, you know, that they were told they had to, um, you know, I'm I'm more impressed by people that are just unapologetically themselves. And so, you know, this this year it's 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 weird to start playing this pop music again. Um, you know, but knowing that it's just who I am, but it's like I, I don't I'm not as uh concerned. It, it's almost funny <clears throat> to kinda of hear you say that now. Because <laughs> years and years ago when when I was having my many failed attempts at trying to have a band. Yeah. And failed attempts for very good reasons. <laughs> but I, I remember I was I was trying to put on a voice that just simply was not me. And you had actually given me the advice then of just being me. Yeah. And it wasn't even until, you know, so much had, had passed where we'd kind of gone our separate ways that some of those words had even kind of reverted back into my head of just being me. So it's funny that, that that's the advice that, that you had actually given me years and years ago. But that that's something that you're recog- <laughs> you're again recognizing now with that with some of the music that, that you're seeing well, and that it's you're hard, doing. Man. I mean, I I idolized Copeland for a long time yeah. and May, uh, Jimmy World. I think I even really really liked you know Lifehouse at a time and and Parachute and I feel like it's okay to be influenced, but not to feel like you have to fit something. Yeah, not to be a caricature <clears throat> of what you're. And you know, I mean. When when I when we when we first started kind of working together, like you know, there are a lot of bands yeah. around Salt Lake area and Sandy area, and they kind of sounded like other bands. Um, and the one strength that I think that I had is it was really hard to really like categorize what I was doing, and I probably should have ran with that. Like I kind of, you know, I was still young and and trying out different things, but. You know, the, the record that's actually held out the best, the two records are like Someplace New and Parades because those two records are very much me just being me. Yeah. Um, and not being concerned with anything else. And it just so happens that I'm playing the majority of the instruments. And, um, you know, it's just 
you know, I have I have a weird self-taught style and it just sounds a certain way and I sing a certain way. Um, and and I think that that's kind of what this is. So it's almost like you would go someplace new, parades, and then go to like our self-titled and then you just listen to Brave New World and you'd be like, oh, this is pretty consistent. And so it's, it's me just finally just and, – and, and the irony is that it's, it's my name. Yeah. You know, the name of the bands that I've been in and the projects. I mean, this project has always just been a – it's supposed to – it was always supposed to be a solo project. And now I am finally saying, yes, it's – you know, I'm, I'm going on tour even this year and it will be majority just me. You know, it's not going to be some some band that you see and you're going to think everybody is the representation of All Red. I play with my friends, you know, and, um, you know, if it is a band show, it's going to be with my friends. But at the same time, they're bringing to life my vision as a solo artist. So it's 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 hard. It's hard to do that because for a long time, I just cared so much about my band members that I just wanted to give them as much credit as I could because I loved them so much and wanted them to feel that it was valuable to them. But you, you find that if people care about you enough and, and enjoy playing with you enough, they'll do it if it's a solo project. <laughs> they probably yeah. all would have. I just didn't realize it at the time. So, so but it, it, it's, it's always fun, though, to watch you, you know, continue to grow and develop as an artist. And, I mean, especially where you've got a label hel- helping with things. I mean, it beats the days that I, I remember when you'd released the, uh, the acoustic album. And they're, they're, I can't remember what his name was. Um, you're probably thinking of Arthur, Arthur, yes. Arthur Hayes. Yeah. I, and I remember being at his place late at night cause he was helping burn all of the yeah, copies, burning of all the CDs and we were gluing, gluing together gluing the, the sleeves, yeah, yeah. gluing the sleeves together. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, all of the progression that you've continually had, yeah. you know, from trying to just do anything, just the whole DIY, trying to make it, make it happen to. You know, I, and this album's even charting. Brave New World is charting on Billboard now. Yeah, Billboard and iTunes. So it, I mean, I don't have, you know, the, the, the PR tools and the promotional, you know, push that you know mo- most labels like, especially the two local heroes from here, you know, Neon Trees and Imagine Dragons had over a million dollars put into promotion for the records. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, you can't, you couldn't go anywhere the week that that record was out where people didn't know who they were because, of course, they did. It was just, it was, you know, just it wasn't just like you know talked about because they were local. It was because they were everywhere. They were on the radio. They were on huge tours. They were doing PR campaigns that were everywhere. I think they even had a few billboards here and there. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is that this actually was just my hardcore fans helping me it's still very much homegrown so you know it's 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 not as many sales as you would think but the first week to know that like it's almost like you're on a ladder and then you go up like 20 steps up that ladder just for one day to show what we're capable of doing so it was pretty freaky to see like you know number one is ed sheeran number two is john mayer and then number three is joshua Radin, and we're number four and i was like all right this is proof that it's possible yeah. that like anything is possible. And then the, the billboard thing is just, you know, it, it's, um, it, it, I don't, I, I just didn't ever think I'd see my name like right there and, in, in, you know, even in a top 10 of any chart. And although it's heat seekers, which means like you just kind of entered that week and you know, you're, you know, you only sold a certain amount of copies, but also like it, it's, it's still, 
you know, it's like, all right, we have a long ways to go, but it's still like, for me, it's like, all right, finally we're doing some legitimate things that hopefully these type of accolades will get me on tours and, you know, spread the word around about it so that maybe, you know, even by the end of the year, I'll be on a major that could actually, you know, do what it's done for, for so many talented bands that have come out of Utah. So yeah, and, and, and it gets surreal in some of those moments where it is something that you've worked so hard for and you see your name up there. And I mean, do you, do you ever get that feeling? I, I know with the podcast, when certain things have continued to go in the right direction, yeah. all of a sudden I see the podcast with certain names and I'm just like, no, we, we don't belong there. Like, do, do you ever get that feeling that it's just like, no, I, I shouldn't be with those, with those names, even though you totally are in the spot and you're there. Yeah. It, it's that surreal feeling sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I hate writing biographies. <laughs> I, I I hate it when people bring up, you know, the the resume of bands that we've opened up for because all I want is for somebody to just be like, I think what you're doing is good or, you know, or to find my people that really like what I'm doing. But the accolades are for other things. Like, I think bands need these things because it brings, uh, you know, legitimacy to what you're doing. Um, you know, it even means that you're playing by the rules. There's a whole system of how these things are, are done through SoundScan and then they're charting in places. Um, and so what you find is like, all right, like when people see that you're, you're going with the system and you're working with it and you're, you're contributing to the music industry in that facet, that's when things start really, really happening. That's when, you know, you're submitted to bigger tours. That's when, you know, you have possibility to find, you know, other people and network with other people to go to the next level. So this is just one level amongst many. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't sit back and, and look at it and, and think of, oh, I'm, you know, visually up there with all of these huge artists. I always, I'm always going to feel, and it doesn't matter where I end up, I'm always going to feel like I'm a long ways yeah. away from what, <laughs> from where I want to be. I want to, I want to just see where the limits are, to be honest. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm impatient because I've been in a local scene for a really long time. You know, you have to rebuild every four years or so. So you, <laughs> you go from selling out shows and then all of a sudden no one's coming to your shows again because people move. People have kids, you know, people graduate school. And so at, uh, in a local level, it's really hard and exhausting to keep things going. But if you can hit that next level and you become regional and you start to have these communities in all these different areas, I think you can really survive as a musician. So it's like that's something that I've really fought for for years. And now finally we're, we're kind of getting to that point where I feel like it's really, you know, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be a lot more comfortable in the next couple of years. So, and, and you've always had a regional appeal, even when you guys have done small tours yeah. or, I mean, people have hired you for weddings and stuff, even that yeah. are across the country and shows that you've done there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you even got to do some in China. Is that yeah. So the weirdest story is my parents were teaching over there and they were doing a PowerPoint presentation for their English class that they're teaching in like this rural area of China. And like they played some of my music and all the students were like at the end of the, at the end of the class were like, Hey, isn't, you know, who was that? And my mom's like, Oh, it's our, it's our son. You know, he goes under the name all red. And it just so happens that four of the kids in the school already had some of my music. Oh, wow. And so it's just a weird uh, coincidence, you know? So it ended up that they booked me a few shows and I came out and sold enough CDs to be actually pay for my plane fare. That's so it was, awesome. it was, it was surreal and weird and, you know, I was still adjusting <laughs> to the time zone. So it was very strange. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, I'll never forget it. It was really cool. And I'd love to do it again, but on a grand scale. I mean, friends of mine have been on Japanese record labels and I was really close to getting on one. They were called Sure Tone. Um, but they're that, that to them, those are some of the biggest moments, you know, just going across the world and these people already know who they are and playing music. So I, I hope to be able to do that again, you know? So, and, and I, th- I think for sure with brand new world, I mean, it's like you said, it, it's, it is that stepping stone that you can see, you know, where it could be with by the end of the year, or within the next two years. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does very well flow with everything that, that you've ever done. And I mean, I, I do love that golden um, <laughs> is on this, but every time golden is, is on an album, it's always a new, a new version of it. And I've always loved that. I feel like this one is the, is what I always wanted yeah. it to be. I think that it's really close actually to the first version that I recorded. But, uh, you know, I went to school and learned how to orchestrate strings you know, a little bit. And so it, it, it actually, I could apply a little bit of my education to this record and do, you know, arrangements for like two of the songs with like cello, viola and, and violin. So it's, it's special to me because it is a culmination of, of pretty much the last 13 years. And, and it is the first song I wrote when I moved here and it's been through so much, you know, you, you play that thing for over a decade in front of crowds and it does, it kind of changes a little bit. Um, it, and I still, you know, I don't know where it came from. You know, it's, it's a weird song. It doesn't rhyme. It doesn't have like a meter, like a lot of the other stuff that I wrote. It's just very much just what I was thinking at the time. It's pretty bare, you know, it's pretty like, it just kind of was written and I didn't even think it was really going to connect with people at the time, but it ended up being the one that was the most requested over the last few years. And I felt like, you know, if I really want people to know that I'm back to really doing what I was doing, this is probably the one song that I would like to, now that we have a budget, now that I don't have to stress about paying for a record myself, I'd like to do that, you know, do this song justice, you know. So, and it's one too that, I mean, no matter which version of it it is, that it can come on on my shuffle, it can be when I'm <laughs> intentionally listening to an album. Without even thinking, I catch myself singing along to it because yeah. it's just been ingrained into my brain over over all the years that it's I, it, it almost is like a peaceful song in a way that just like it calms me down in a way that that i really can't explain well so it's different it's different to everybody too i mean some people think it is a happy song and then other people think it's super depressing but i think that's <laughs> that's kind of the interesting thing i mean i've started to realize that that it doesn't really matter even what it's about it just, it, all that matters is what it means to other people. It's almost like the moment that I put this thing out it is no longer mine. It's theirs. Um, you know, and so if, if I'm hearing back from people, this means a lot to me, you know, or I like to sing along to that. It's like, that pleases me and, and that's enough. You know, I, I'm going to start, I mean, obviously this isn't a good representation, but I, I, I used to talk a lot at shows. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I would rather talk less on stage and then talk to people afterwards. That's kind of going to be my goal is like all those things I want to talk to people about, I'll talk to them after, but during it, I'm just going to get to the music, say a few quips. You know, I, I have these catchphrases that I use where usually people who come to my shows, they know I'm going to say it. And it mainly is just, it, it, it makes them know, Oh, it's like, I kind of, I know this guy, I know what he's about to say. Because, you know, I go to shows all the time. He's totally going to say, you know, I wrote this one without my mom's help. Or, 
you know, you guys like cheesy 80s songs, you know, <laughs> or um, I think, I think, what was another one? Um, I don't know. I think like I just have these random things that I say, like, you know, that make it familiar for people, almost like you're watching a movie, you know, and, and you remember a line, you know, from that movie and it makes you feel like, all right, like I'm, I'm, this is my movie. This is my thing. So. So now, where, where did where did Brave New World come from? As, as I was listening to the to the title track, it, it felt very current <laughs> to so much of what, <laughs> what we're what we're seeing going around, not just you know in the world, but very much within our country right now. And it, so, some of it, I, I kind of felt myself chuckle when I'd think of just like it was the comedy side of the brain coming out, hearing certain lyrics. But I mean, it's it's a beautiful song. And it, yeah, it's it's very relevant. It felt. I mean, was was any of that kind of any inspiration behind it? Or? A little bit. I mean, life life is kind of interesting. Like, um, there's a lot of universals. There's a lot of stuff that just through history is kind of consistent. Where you could say a certain phrase and it really could address so many different things. But this one, you know, it's a, a song about, you know. Um, concerns you know that like if we if it's it, the bridge is um you know may the bridge or it's funny the bridge actually says bridge in it but it's <laughs> it's it's may the bridges we burn be lessons we learn or ashes to ashes we all fall down so it's talking about if we don't learn from the past apply it to the present we're not going to survive in the future you know and it's it's a scary time man it's a scary time when there's so much noise, I mean, we talk about how much music there is out there, but there's a lot of like false information. And, you know, it's pretty scary that there are people that don't think that it's a concern, the state of our environment. Yeah. And they don't think that humans have contributed to it. You know, that's scary because, you know, over 90% of the scientific community uh, like supports that we have definitely contributed to, to what is going on, you know, sea levels are higher than they've ever been. It's, it's the hottest year on record. Um, you know, these things aren't coincidences. This isn't the natural cycle of things. And, you know, if you, you're saying that that's propaganda or something, it's NASA. Yeah. It's science. It's It's basic science. Well, NASA, (laughs) NASA, NASA usually isn't too biased. The only thing they're biased towards is we really care about this planet and, you know, space travel, you know, and they, they're the last people that want us to feel like we have to leave this place because of what we're about to do to it, you know? But like, the thing is with this, this record, you know, it, it could be that song, you know, being the title track, you know, it has a lot of different meanings, you know, it's like, it's like me finally having enough guts to just be myself. I learned from everything I've done. I'm applying it in the present and then I'm going to, I'm providing for what I can do in the future. And I think everybody, um, you know, is, is so caught up in the moment, um, or they, they get angry or, you know, they have terrible things happen to them. You know, and I've been through a lot. I, I mean, I've, I've had a, I've had a share of a lot of trials in my life, but I can't say that I've had it all that bad because, you know, I know that I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of the blessings, but you know, when something terrible has happened to me, I'm usually able to go, what can I learn from this instead of blaming other people or being angry? And maybe I am in the moment, but, but I get over it. And usually you're like, you know what, how can I learn from this so I can apply it now so that I can learn from this in the future and, and, and make a better life for myself. I mean, the only true form of time travel is that you're thinking about what the future will be like and you're changing what you're doing now 
and applying it so that you can change your future. And people don't think in that way. Like we're very caught up in moments. Um, so this is, you know, I, I think it's just, it's a very universal thing that I think is super healthy. And yeah, I mean, we're in a really interesting place. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's two things. Like the person was in a coma for the last, you know, 15 to 20 years and they woke up, you know, this week. The two most shocking things would be an iPhone and telling them that Donald Trump is our president. <laughs> and that's that's where I'll put it. I'm not even you know, I'm not even gonna like, you know, do talk about, you know, pros and cons or even even comment on, on our current state in politics because I'm not really I mean, I'm a musician, you know, I, I care about politics. Um, but at the same time, like I don't I don't I'm not an expert, you know, but the thing that I will say is like it's pretty shocking, you know, that you know, even the things that, that we see, I just didn't, I didn't see that coming. I mean, we we're, we're, I mean, I thought Barack Obama was an interesting, you know, it, it, it was progressive. You know, I thought like, wow, that's amazing. You know, people thought we would have a female president before we'd have, you know, a black president. So I think we, you know, I think once you pass that threshold, it makes it so anyone can be elected. And it has nothing to do with what sex they are or what race they are. It has to do and with unfortunately, them just being good. Really, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is like they just have to be the right person for the job. Right. And I'm saying person, like emphasizing person. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's what I thought we were getting to with progression. And you know, I mean, that guy's not a public servant. He's he's a businessman. And who knows? I mean, what I'm hoping is that the guy is such an egomaniac. And he's so worried what people think and he's so sensitive to it that he's going to do something right because he's so (laughs) worried about what people think. And maybe, you know, who knows? I'm trying to be optimistic. And I think that's something, you know, you you, listening to a lot of my music in the past, you'd be like, this guy is probably really sad, (laughs) you know, or or depressed or, you know, he's, you know, but to to be completely honest, like I'm pretty optimistic. I get it out when I write Um, and my stuff's a lot more hopeful than it used to be. But yeah, I, I try to be really, really optimistic about it. I, I, I honestly, I think people should really watch. You know, there's a lot of people that are just really angry right now. But it's like, just watch. Like, like you know, he's only been in office for a month. You know, let's see, let's see what happens. I mean, I, I know that even in the last month, a lot of things have happened. <laughs> um, but, but for me, it's like, you know, it, it, it really isn't doesn't necessarily have to be a political song, but it is talking about anything that you can apply to it in life where it's like, you know, are we going to learn from our past so that we can, you know, change it in the present so that we can actually like live a better future. And, you know, you could even apply that to the dam that's about to like, you know, in Northern California, but yeah, to, to fall apart right now because it was built so terribly. And so it's going to take millions of dollars to fix hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's just, it's like that. It's like life can be like that. If you're not prepared and you don't fix things and set them up, they're going to fail, you know? So, you know, life's, life's not easy, but like, you know, I think for me, music is just a great conversation to have. And, you know, I, I think that there, there aren't enough songs that are really written like that. There, there's a lot of love songs that I love to death, but it's like, you know, there's other subject matters that can be just as, you know, important, I think. Absolutely, and I I, lo- I love what you said about about time travel. There, of the only <laughs> the only true way is, is focusing on on what can be your future and working towards that. I, think I mean, if I had a DeLorean, amazing. if I had a DeLorean, <laughs> I'd probably go back in time and 
you know, just bring, you know, all my best songs and say, hey, just play these. Or, <laughs> you know, that haircut, not a good idea. Just 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 keep to this one. You know, it'll you're, look you're, best. You're referencing the long hair there, right? Yeah. I, I, every now and again, someone posts a picture, you know, tags <laughs> I, me in a Facebook post. One, it's like, oh, I no. I saw one the other day that popped up and I laughed really hard because yeah. I was like, I forgot about this. Eh? The, deep, were... the deep V-necks, you know, <laughs> some, some things have not, you know, held out as well with fashion as, as we would have hoped. But, you know, luckily, you know, I, I don't think I've changed drastically. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that is, that's a nice thing to tell people. It's like, there really is only one form of time travel and it's just, you know, change what you're doing now so that the future is different, you know? Yeah. It, it, and, and I mean, to stay on the, the topic of time travel it's like doc brown says at the end of back to the future three you know the future's not written yet mm-hmm. it is it is what you make of, of, of the current and that's it, it's awesome i mean i'm glad that we were able to sit down and talk about this this new album and just i mean kind of talk music it's it's been a while since we've had those uh those late night conversations yeah. in, in, in a mall or at a denny's and <laughs> yeah i have like, the thing a lot of people don't know is is that yeah you were co-manager of a of a store that just sold local music. Yeah. I mean, Utah's a unique place. Um, and that was kind of a really great blessing for a few years. And, um, you know, nothing stranger than, you know, showing up to practice at like, you know, 11 o'clock at night, practicing for three hours, you know, in a mall, you know, with yeah, everything where the security shut cards off. were actually cool. With them yeah. Coming they were watch. like, they, they would come watch the practices. Yeah. It was awesome. And then, you know, we just go to Denny's afterwards and yeah, I was, uh, I was even more talkative than I'd been on this one, you know, <laughs> like I used to just, you know, my mind wanders, you know, and, and, you know, all the possibilities and stuff like that. And, um, the coolest thing is like all those late night talks with my best friends, you know, I mean, we, I, I don't do it as much anymore. Um, but like, you know, three of those guys showed up just to play my last show. So I've, you know, they're still kind of around and, inspired and you know just enjoying playing music still and you know even in my 30s i'm still kind of dreaming which i think i don't think people should ever stop you know absolutely so it's been great catching up i hope the album continues to do well and that and that touring you know is is incredible this year for you you know you put on you put on an amazing show and thanks anybody that hasn't hasn't had a chance to see needs to get out and get out and check it out Uh, where, where can people find you on social media and online uh, so, uh, Facebook just under, um, John Allred and then, uh, you can go on Twitter it's just, uh, Jallred. Jallred. <laughs> Instagram is just John Allred music. I know they're all different, but it's mainly because I'm older and, you know, all these websites started at very different times. Um, and then just, you know, probably to link everything together, just allredmusic.com. So. Excellent. Everything on is available on iTunes. iTunes and Spotify and physical um, copies are at shows and on the website. So excellent. Well, again, thank you. It was great to great to catch up. Hopefully, it won't be as long uh, next time. But <laughs> you can always cut it. You know, <laughs> cut it up. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm not meaning the episode. I'm meaning hopefully not as long, as long as us uh, not not oh, seeing each going other. Going <laughs> without talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, people, everybody can love the the Marvel and, and DC banter at the beginning. <laughs> okay, yeah, you can you can leave it. That's fine. Cool. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tim. <laughs>
Here's to the days when we were unafraid. We didn't care what people say, cause we believed the world could change. Here's to the nights when we felt so alive. It was never black and white, it was never wrong or right. Times are changing. It's a brand new world. This is where I stick my claim. It's a brand new world. We will never be the same. It's a brand Cause we believe the world could change It's a brave new world 